Reading from the 20th chapter of the Gospel according to John, beginning with the 19th verse. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God and that through believing you may have life in His name. The Word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. This text is extremely rich. There's much in it that we could latch onto. We could, we could ponder the resurrection body from this text as we see that Somehow Jesus is suddenly able to appear in a locked room. They were afraid that the ones who had come and taken Jesus and put Him on the cross would come get them next. Because after all, if you're following an insurrectionist around town and the government puts that insurrectionist to death, your next thought would likely be they might come for us. They know we were with Him, right? And so they were afraid. 
And John says the doors were locked, but suddenly Jesus is in their midst. And we could ponder what can we say about the resurrection body of Jesus from this? Because after all, Paul says that when our bodies are raised from the dead on that last day, that we will be like Jesus. So, I mean, I'm awful walking through walls. What about y'all? Or we could look and see where Jesus breathed on the disciples. And he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. And then he'd had the audacity to say that they could look at one another and say that their sins were forgiven. Have you ever heard anybody say that no one can forgive sins but Jesus alone? There's some truth in that. But apparently Jesus can hand authority out to the church to be able to say to one another, your sins are forgiven. And we do that, don't we? Every time we celebrate the meal of communion and we make confession of our sins or if we have a confession service of any other type or if I just include the rite of confession in the proper service itself and I say in the name of Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven, you respond to the pastor in the name of Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. And we all say together, glory to God. Amen. We could latch on to that and just deep dive into that and just ponder what a good thing it is that Jesus gave us the ability to say to one another that our sins do not have to reign over us, that we don't have to sit in a puddle of filth and remorse the rest of our lives. And that, dear ones, is good news, isn't it? I think so. I've done some bad things in my life. I don't want any of you to know about it. I want you to think I'm just as perfect as you think I am right now. But it's not true. There are things that haunt me sometimes when I lay my head down at night. I start thinking about things I could have said different in a conversation that happened 12 years ago. Anybody else? But Jesus says we have the ability and the authority. No, we even have the right to say to each other, your sins are forgiven. Because what he has done for us is free us from sin. And all we are saying when we say that is that the merits of Christ's death have been applied to you, sister and brother. You are free. And that is what we are called to do in this place, to raise up our freedom before each other that we have in Christ and celebrate it and be renewed in it so that we can go forth to live in what our liturgy calls joyful obedience. But that's not what got him to that point. What got him to that point is the wounds. The wounds. John doesn't say that they knew who he was before he showed them his hands and his side. Did you catch that? He showed them his hands and his side and then they saw him. They knew who he was. That seems important to me. We might expect that Jesus being raised from death after what he would done, that God would correct whatever disfigurements had occurred in his body, whatever signs there might be of the work of sin in the world, because you have to remember that what the Bible tells us is that he was given over into the hands of sinful people. And sinful people crucified him and made those marks. Those marks were made by people like us, people who sometimes turn our backs 
on the author of life. In some ways, before we knew Christ, we might could say we were helping to build those wounds. I don't know if that's great theology or not, but I think there's a hint of truth in it. It's that same concept that says we drove the nails. You've heard that before. It was a very popular way of preaching the crucifixion during the 70s and 80s. They didn't know Him until He showed them the wounds. Isaiah, in chapter 53, verse 5, said that we are healed. We are healed by His stripes. We are healed by His wounds. We are renewed by the wounds made in His flesh. And here Jesus walks, raised from the dead, glorified, vindicated, proven to be who He said He was, and to be doing what He said He was doing. And yet those marks remain. And that is how they knew who He was. Maybe that's why Paul says that when we celebrate the meal of Holy Communion and we break the bread before our eyes together, and we, that when we do that, that we show forth the Lord's death. That we remember that He was broken for our sakes. That we remember that His body was broken. And in doing so, we can see His body before us. Those wounds must matter. When John was sent to Patmos, not the author of this gospel, but probably a different John, he was exiled to Patmos, and while on Patmos, he had a vision of the fulfillment of all time. What God was going to do and bring about in the world, the new heaven, the new earth, the renewal of all things, the wiping away of the tears from our eyes. And in that drama, in the climax of it, in the moment when the scroll is brought forward that would set all the events in motion to bring about that time when God would renew all things. On the precipice of that moment, there were tears in heaven because no one was found worthy to open the scroll. But then John says, I looked. And there, standing in the midst of the throne, was one who looked, who appeared as a lamb slain. And we learn from that that the wounds of Jesus are visible in the dimension of God we call heaven. And John says that Jesus was found worthy to open the scrolls because He had given Himself for us. He had purchased us with His blood. And dear ones, do we not know from our own physiology that if we want our body to bleed, we must break it? I learned that with that stupid little thing I had to poke my finger with and check my blood sugar. Doctor said, don't pick a scab, you got to stick yourself. The purchasing of us with the blood of Christ required the, broken, the breaking of the body of Christ and those wounds are visible. Even in the perfection of the presence of God. 
They are marks of the love of God for us. They are witness to the mercy of Almighty God. And then, we might look at this text and say, how in the world did they let Thomas be off somewhere by himself? It's a pretty good text for congregational care, isn't it? Sometimes people will come to me and they'll say, well, you know, I haven't seen old Nathan for about five weeks now. How's he doing? And y'all know what my answer is always going to be when you ask me that? You should call him. Why is that going to be my answer? This text. We come here to remember the marks of Christ, to remember the wounds, to remember that He has been raised, to remember what He has done for us, to be in His very presence, to be in the presence of Almighty God, to be loved by the Father, to be renewed in the grace of the Son, and to be perfected through the power of the Holy Spirit, to love God and love others. We come here for something more important than anything else that is possibly happening right now at this hour in the world. There is nothing more powerful happening than sitting here in the shadow of grace. Nothing. And yet, some of us aren't here. Think about the opportunity that's missed. There's some powerfulness in thinking about that here, that Thomas missed something simply because nobody bothered to make sure he was with them. I'm sure he went off on his own. He's feeling dejected, desperate. Who knows what he's feeling? He, like Cleopas, probably thought that Jesus was going to redeem Israel and renew the kingdom and set up the throne in Jerusalem, but instead he's dead as a box of hammers in a tomb somewhere. I'm sure his heart is broken and he doesn't know what to do, but the rest of them were together. It seems to me, it seems to me that they failed him. It makes me think that somehow we should all be more committed to ensuring that our people are together in worship. Does that make sense? Not in a way of moralistic preaching gobbledygook, but in a way of saying that the opportunity that we have here to be in the midst of our faith together and our presence together and the presence of Almighty God is worth making sure people don't miss it. Even people who don't know what it is. And that seems important, but what's really important are those wounds and the one on whose body they rest. And Thomas isn't afforded the opportunity everyone else has. And so when he gets there and they say, hey, we've seen the Lord as far as he knows, Jesus is still dead in that hole they put him in. And he doesn't know if he should believe them or not. After all, he spent three years with them. He should know if their character would merit just believing whatever they said. But apparently they were just as undependable as the rest of us. And he says, unless I see it, touch them with my own hands, I will not believe. You know, that gives us that old axiom, seeing is believing, doesn't it? Seeing is believing. And so Thomas has been called Doubting Thomas, and it was very popular for a while for preachers to attack that label. 
and say that's not fair to Thomas because he was just needing what everybody else had. And that's true. But what Thomas was doing here was not doubting. He may have been doubting the dependability of his friends. What he was doing was unbelieving because what Jesus said to him from the Greek is be not unbelieving but believing. Be transformed in your thinking, Thomas. Come to something new. Have faith. Be not unfaithing, but faithing. Put your trust in me. And he gives Thomas what Thomas needed to see the wounds. The old King James gets it right when it says that he told Thomas to thrust his hand into his side, for that is exactly what Jesus said in the Greek. He said, throw your hand into my side. He didn't invite him to some gentle touching, but to a deep experience of the brokenness of Christ's body raised and living before him. Something that could speak to Thomas's heart of the brokenness that he was carrying. Do you hear that, church? That's why those wounds are important for us. Any representation we might make of Jesus without the wounds and hang on our walls as art would be a lie. For we need to know that the one who will judge us was wounded for us because we are all wounded by the same things that nailed Him to the tree. Sin and death work daily to have their way with us, to manipulate us, to create in us hate to create in us a lack of empathy for other people, to create in us a desire to be first and foremost, to create in us a desire to serve ourselves and forget that there are hurting and broken people in the world. But the wounds that we have in ourselves speak to us differently about the reality of who we are. And if we, if we will simply acknowledge that brokenness that's in us, that hurt and broken heart, then the brokenness of Christ can be a healing balm for us because He is raised. And dear ones, what Thomas saw in front of him was the possibility that his broken heart could be healed. He had followed this man. He had seen Him heal people who were sick. He had seen Him raise the dead. He had seen Him love the unlovable. He had seen Him touch lepers for goodness sake. And now His heart was broken because He was dead. And here stands before Him the broken Christ as a sign that He can be healed and renewed despite the wounds that He bears in His own flesh. Despite the scarred heart that fills His chest, He can be renewed in life. And all it requires is that he see the wounds of the one who died for him. That he consider the death of Jesus for him. And so Thomas touches the wounds and he goes from unbelieving to believing. He goes from blindness to seeing. Because he sees the one who died for him standing before him. Inviting him to experience the resurrection. That's what we are invited to every single Sunday that we gather. 
to experience the good news of resurrection and to know that Jesus can heal our brokenness too. That Thomas isn't the only one who can be made new this day. You, dear ones, can leave here unbound by whatever it is that haunts you. By whatever sin that would convince you that God could never love you. That you can be free from whatever prison you have built for yourself. Remember the wounds of Jesus that this candle stands in our midst to represent. He suffered for us and died for us. By His wounds we are healed. Be not unbelieving, but believe. And trust this work that Jesus has done to free you. And believe that He can heal you. And make your confession, dear ones. My Lord, my God. And you will be healed. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.